How many of y'all have seen or read The Lord of the Rings? Okay, so I'm speaking to a crowd that is familiar. Do you know that part at the Fellowship of the Ring where they just don't get out of the Shire, where they're celebrating Bilbo's 111st birthday? Am I getting some nods? You remember this part at the beginning? Do you remember when he said to the crowd gathered around him that he felt like too little butter spread over too much bread? Since I first heard those words years ago, that image has captured my imagination and unfortunately has described far too much of my life and really all of my life until only this year. Allow me to elaborate. I came to seminary three years ago with a call to pastoral ministry, but here's the clincher. It was my call. I stand before you today with the same call, but it is not mine, it is God's. I came to seminary three years ago, a lifelong churchman, without having once heard the gospel preached in its entirety. I stand before you today with peace and power over sin, eagerly going on to perfection as his spirit dwells in me richly hour by hour and day by day. I came to seminary three years ago plagued by loneliness and enslaved by that most insidious of idols, self. I stand before you today a free man, come to share with you that there is a way out and to plead with you with all that I have to leave them here today Leave the idol that would dare to rival God here today, never to pick them up again, trusting in Christ that as you hear him call you beloved, that he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. Surrender to him today, I beg of you, while it is still called today. Brothers and sisters, I know what I'm talking about. Until Dr. Collins preached the whole gospel to me in the theology of John Wesley, I thought the Christian life consisted in up, down, up, down, up, down, and hopefully, just hopefully, God called you home when you were up and not down. This was my too little butter over too much bread experience. And if this is your experience of rising only to fall again, Baffled over the intractability of sin, I'm here to testify that there is more. There is immeasurable freedom to be had, but it is not something to be attained. It is a relationship to be experienced by God's free grace through faith in Jesus Christ. My whole life long, I had sought for righteousness under the law. I thought it was like anything else that I could go after and get through sheer force of will good grades, savings in the bank, even the companionship of friends that I chose to pursue. Except, except, I couldn't. It's like someone had barred the door with a flaming sword, saying, you can't enter like that. Well, I kept on running up to that door only to get burned time and time again. Confused as to why life worked in every other domain, but not this one. My journals from this period read like a serious case of the if-onlys. If only I worked harder. If only I trusted God more. If only I went to confession more. Then, 
then I wouldn't fall again, and the sweetness of communion with God that had been sporadic would be my permanent possession. The might of my own hand would have gotten me this, except it never did. This is a sad, even pitiful state, and one that I'm afraid is only too common. It wasn't until I came to seminary that I became aware of the deficiency of my sub-Christian life and that Jesus Christ could and would fill my soul with his spirit if indeed he were sought. In Dr. Collins' class, what really got to me was Wesley's sermon, Justification by Faith, where he says, Repentance was neither more nor less than a deep sense of the want of all good and the presence of all evil. And whatever good he hath or doth from that hour when, the, when he first believes in God through Christ, faith does not find, but bring. This is the fruit of faith. First the tree is good, and then the fruit is good also. I was seeking, and seeking hard, but I was seeking like this, with clenched fists. Now you tell me, how could God have ever brought me the gift he so longed and eagerly desired to bestow, even justifying grace, when I was running around like that? Praise be to God, through Wesleyan, a dyed-in-the-wool Wesleyan, he invited me to stop and open my hands to receive the greatest gift of all. Are any of you all walking around today with clenched fists? If so, then please, please don't leave here this morning without laying your burden down at the altar, in your seat, or at the baptismal font. I wish, though, my story could have ended there, happy and justified. But for another year, I continued to suffer from the up-downs. Although the intervals were lengthening. It didn't take long for me to start treating that freedom like a thing. And as soon as I tried to grab hold of that dove of peace, she flew away. In that state of neither here nor there existence, I entered my first crucible of ministry, a clinical pastoral education internship at UK Hospital. I knew then that I couldn't do it alone, so I implored God for his presence every day, begging that he would go with me as I worked in his name with the faith of a servant. I would soon learn that God was already there if I would only get out of the way and open up my hands to receive the grace that is always and everywhere about us and witness to that, to him, and not help in my own strength. Even so, I was keeping all of this to myself if my own festering burden was too much for me to handle, imagine what all of that hospital visitation, witnessing to hundreds of others' lowest points, was doing to me. Thankfully, toward the end of the summer, God in his great mercy cracked me open, and all the burdens that I had been secretly carrying came pouring out to my brothers and sisters who were present to minister to me, my fellow CPE interns. They gave me the gift of freedom through spiritual friendship. Friend, do you have someone to whom you can bear your soul? Who can speak light and life into your own? Our generation is suffering needlessly 
from the inability to trust others with the griefs and burdens that we all bear. I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't have to be this way. When I returned to my seat in Estes that fall, I knew something had to change, but I didn't know what or how. Thankfully, God sent to us a special Yorkshireman who pleaded with us at the beginning of the semester to band together, to find those friends without whom the sanctified life is impossible. The altar was full that day for Dr. Meadows was speaking to our deep spiritual hunger for friendship, for people who would guard our freedom in Christ. That day I prayed and God sent me three men. We've been meeting every week for over a year. And God, working through them, has changed my life, which is no longer my own, but his. And God, working through... Oh, excuse me. We uncover our sins and our temptations to one another. We receive forgiveness, and we spur one another on to new life in God. Nathan and ZJ, and later Shushow, were to me as Aaron and her were to Moses. They held up my arms so that I could stay in a place of surrender to God in the world he so loves. It took time for the up-downs to cease, but cease they did, and they did so as my friends helped me to see myself as a beloved child of God. Surrender to God in Jesus Christ comes in many forms, and I beg of you with every ounce of my being, please, please don't leave here without it. Behind and before all this, though, stands my wife, Emma, the treasure of my heart, with whom I'll soon be departing to Kenya to serve in an orphanage until June. It was she who first softened my heart and drew it out of its hiding place, showing me that faith is lived out in relationship. She ministered to me God's prevenient grace and daily demonstrates to all whom she meets through her patience, her forbearance, and her self-sacrifice that the Christian life is not a matter of I and me, but us and we. Together we've been nourished at Mount Zion, which has modeled for us what life together can look like at its best, fostered us in our first years of marriage, and is now sending us out into the world full of God's holy love. This year for us has been one of tasting and seeing the goodness of the Lord, who gives lavishly and far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. While not always easy, the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. It is so sweet, but it is far sweeter when it is tasted in community. I thank God for all the people he has put in my life during these past three years at Asbury. My band, my family, my professors, my church, and my dear friends all gathered here today. And it is my fervent hope and prayer that you too are blessed with people to grow during your years on this hallowed ground. Thank you. I came to Asbury seeking further education toward the path that I felt the Lord was leading me on. I expected to engage in more learning, more papers, and more studying. I also fully anticipated the community here but I was not anticipating the pressing, the crushing, and the divine formation that occurred in my life in this past year. Five years ago, I received the news that I was a type one diabetic. Honestly, I received better news. I had a strong fear against all needles and even the sight of blood. 
Let me tell you, I have become quite accustomed to sharp objects inserting my body. It is a daily battle that I face and that I deal with on my own. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease in which insulin-producing beta cells in the pancreas are mistakenly destroyed by the body's immune system. And those diagnosed are dependent on insulin to survive. This insulin can be injected through the attachment of, of an insulin pump. I have a physical attachment to a machine for my survival, but this has also become a psychological and emotional attachment. I believed I needed to be in control of my body every single hour of every single day. The high numbers show me when I have failed, but so do the lows. So when I try and fail, I blame myself and carry the shame of what I literally cannot control. I am consumed by the daily numerical values, and I carry the shame in my identity and my self-worth. About a year of being on insulin pump therapy, the Lord asked me a defining question. Do you want to be healed? Lord, what kind of question is that? Of course, who would say no to that? Then why haven't you asked me? I did not expect or believe the Lord wanted to heal me. I was living in self-sufficiency. I, in fact, was the very one saying no to the Lord. Perfectionism and self-sufficiency would become the very idols that would lead me away from complete trust in God. I would pray for the Lord to heal me on occasion, yet I would tell the Lord to heal other people first and place my healing at the end of the list. I didn't believe that healing was possible for me. I would eventually stop praying. The Lord would ask me again to consider healing as I came here in my first year at Asbury. And I would pray for the Lord to soften my heart, to give me a heart like his that believes and desires healing. I have learned to sit with the Lord indefinitely before making a single decision or move in my life. I've learned to be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. And I would sit with him for months praying. He gave me a heart that desired and pursued healing. And he gave me community that prayed with me in this and led me to take the biggest risk in faith that I would ever take. In May of 2017, I took a risk in faith and trusted in the Lord's power to heal through shutting off my insulin pump and surrendering that area into his hands. I believed I knew where he was directing me, and I believed I heard the Lord's voice in this. I assumed God had healed my body because I couldn't feel the pain or the symptoms anymore. Instead, I had simply mastered suppressing every emotion I ever felt, and I gave God credit for a healing that I had never experienced. When this good path of healing brought me more emotional pain, more depression than peace, I was confused. I just wanted to be fine. I just wanted to be free. But the complications began to, to rise. Even if a healing had occurred, it wasn't present anymore. Exactly a year ago on this day, the healing dissipated from my body and I returned to insulin. I wrestled with the Lord in this. I asked the difficult questions. I questioned if I knew the, the Lord's voice. I mainly wrestled with how a healing can be taken away. How does one lose a healing? More importantly, what did I do wrong? I felt shame. I felt like I couldn't wear my mess on my sleeve. If people knew this, they would be ashamed of me as well. I felt increased anxiety every time I went into the cafeteria. I would give myself insulin shots in the bathroom and go back and sit at the table and act like everything was fine. I sat on the floor in this posture of lament. I was angry with the Lord, and I would sit in that position of silent treatment for quite a few months. 
It's like when you're angry with your best friend, but you have such a good relationship, and you have important things to tell them, but in this moment, you just cannot find the words. So you stay in their presence because you need them. This was my process of lamenting. I was so unsure that I knew the voice of the Lord, and I felt the full weight of disappointment. And I realized this is okay. We tend to withhold our emotions from God because we, th we don't think he can handle them. But when we hide and withhold our emotions from the Lord, we rob him of the joy of being our father. I believed the lie that if I trusted in the Lord, then I could not be sad. I could not feel disappointed. I would tell myself, stop feeling this way. But the Lord is telling me, I need you to grieve disappointment. I give you full permission to be angry with me. Lamenting is literally mourning out loud. It is grieving. Whether we're hurt, frustrated, betrayed, angry, or disappointed, it becomes the language that God gives us to talk to him in the midst of our mess. So I mourned out loud cries to the Lord, where are you, God? Do you even hear me crying out to you? I felt like I just took the biggest risk in faith and God couldn't be farther away. I felt abandoned. And as I asked where he was, God revealed my earthly father to me. God spoke to me by giving me a vivid picture of my relationship with my father. As a child, when I was in heartbreak, walking out of a funeral home, barely able to see or hear anything because of the tears, my father came beside me and walked me through that. He held me and consoled me. Did he say, we are in public, pull yourself together? No, my father was with me in that. He knew I was in pain because he was in pain as well. He knew I was grieving because he was grieving as well. I felt such joy with my heavenly father. You think I am being silent, but I want you to see my heart as a father. I am walking you through this. I see you grieving because I am grieving as well. I see your pain. I'm suffering alongside you. When a child is grieving, the father is not going to tell them to stop feeling that way. The father is quiet, drawing near, holding his child. Healing does not always come in the way we pray for it to. Healing is not easy. Sometimes I think we do one of two things in regards to healing. We either underestimate the power of it actually happening, or we beautify it so much that we forget its aftermath. I had discovered the Father's heart, and he was healing mine. In the month of February, the Lord wanted me to share my present disappointment with others as I was still experiencing it. My response to the Lord was, heck no, I'm still recovering from the last time you asked me to do something. This is going to cost me. It might feel like it will cost you, but I want you to see that this message will also release you. The power I have given you is the power of your testimony, and the authority I have given you is the choice to reject disappointment. He walked me deeply into joy, hope, and strength. He restored my worth and revealed to me that I am greater than the highs and lows, and I am physically and daily reminded through this printed tattoo that this is not who I am, but it's only a part of me, for he is greater than the highs and lows. How can I stand in such joy and hope after such agonizing disappointment? Because my roots are established deep in the Father's love. The roots matter. The branches might have been bare and dry and beaten, but the roots were strong and deeply set in the dirt. Nothing can damage these roots. Because of the roots, I live today in freedom, not shame. I have taken hold of my joy that was stolen from me, and it will never be stolen from me again. I have bloomed in the dead of winter, 
And it is beautiful for all those who see. In the pressing and the crushing, the Lord was making new wine out of me. You know, Asbury family, as I reflect on my time here at Asbury, I am reminded of my undergraduate chemistry lab. And I am reminded of the first time I lit a Meeker burner. Now, a Meeker burner is the older, larger cousin of a Bunsen burner. And I, I remember when I turned on that gas regulator and I had the igniter in my hand and I was, I was striking it and I was striking it and it ignited. And it produced this big flame that would singe your eyebrows, but don't worry, no eyebrows were lost in this endeavor. And I thought, all right, now I can get on to the experiment. Now I can begin catalyzing the reaction. It was this big orange flame and I began to go about my business and the instructor said, there's more adjusting that needs to take place. And he showed me that I needed to tweak the regulator in such a way and I could adjust, uh, adjust the air intake. And when I did, the flame actually began to change shape. It began to change color. And before I knew it, that big orange flame had turned into this concentrated bright blue flame that hovered right above the tip of the burner. That was the flame that I wanted. That was the flame that was concentrated so much hotter than the larger orange flame, a meek flame, if you will, a flame with greater capacity. That's the image that I get when I think about the journey that the Lord has walked with me through um, here at Asbury. And as I came to Asbury, and the events that led up to it were really one of, of open-handedness and surrender. I would not have come. I would not have, the Lord would not have been able to get me here if it wouldn't have been for, uh, for, for, for a posture of surrender. And as I had surrendered, the Lord had taken me to the mission field. He had, he had taken me and he had given me some, uh, time and time again better than what I could have asked for or imagined. But I had a flame. I came here with a flame, and friends, it was an orange one. It was a big orange flame, and if any of you um, can remember back to some of the first classes that you had with me, you can probably remember a diatribe or two that I had where I was sweaty and red-faced. And I remember... Then, as I, as I started classes, and I ordered the books, and I began to grasp how much reading was going to be required, and, and I think there was, a, there was a notable moment after I took the first church history exam with Dr. Collins that I realized this was going to be harder than I thought. Now, Lord, this is hard. And I remember him saying, Sam, this is not, the, the point of this journey is not validation. The point of this journey is formation, transformation. And it was a humbling process.
process. It was a painful process. But as I think back and I reflect, it was a process that was worth leaning into. And as I began to lean into, I began to realize that the Lord wasn't just yearning to teach me in the lectures. He was yearning to teach me in all of the aspects of the Asbury community. He was, he was yearning to show me what the incarnation looked like in the hallways and in the living rooms and in the cafeteria and over conversations and over coffee. And it was through that that I began to realize that the stuff that we talked about in class was true. That, that Dr. Okeson was right, that the gospel is bigger and fuller than we could ever imagine. It really is that good and it just took a community to be able to see it a little bit more clearly. It took a community of people like you, people like, like Craig Keener to realize that you could be wonderfully gifted and intelligent, but also humble and hospitable. It took a community to be able to see that. And, and I think especially in this season of Advent, that the incarnation shows that God is willing and eager to show up in the places that we least expect him often the places that are the most needed. Those are the places that he longs to come the most fully. And I, I began to see the world around me with new eyes. And wouldn't you know that God offered me a part-time job a little over a year ago? And I had no idea the, the, the meaning of it then. But it was working part-time. It was actually in the gorge, building a treehouse. It sounded, sounded like a great idea. And and it was in many ways, and I thought that it was just a job. This is just, this is just work. This is just a way to help, help pay the bills. But no, the Lord had more in store. It's the places where we least expect him that he comes the most fully. And it was in those places that I began to realize as I went to work that God longed for the gospel to be made manifest there. That God used are not only our labor to reflect his, his love and his character, but he brought people to us that we would never be in contact with. I remember a local business owner that we would frequent when we were at work who said, I don't know why you guys come here, but you are like a light in this place. The Lord's ministry was expanding in ways that I would have never expected And that's when I began to start realizing that what I thought was a call to pastoral ministry wasn't just a call to pastoral ministry, but it was an invitation and a calling into the marketplace. And it's like, Lord, I'm not a businessman. Don't you know this? Like, I, I, I might be a laborer or, um, or, or, or even possibly a pastor, maybe even a missionary, but Lord, you know that I'm, I'm not a businessman. And the Lord so graciously responded, then go as a missionary. Then go as a pastor. Go as a laborer. 
go in the places that least expect me so that I can be made manifest the most fully. It's a good thing that I'm the Lord, he said. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you be wise to trust me? And so as I think back to the burner, you see, and I think back to how this season has been such a wonderful season of refinement, as painful as it has been at times. And that burner will still need adjustments, but eventually the experiments need to begin, and they need to go. And that God calls us here and breathes us in so that he can breathe us out. And that's why with great hope and confidence, my wife Taylor and I are leaving in in January, being sent in January to serve a church that has no paid staff, that engages the, the community around them in wonderful and missional ways, that longs to see the gospel come spiritually, socially, and economically. This church is called Blue Jean. You're all welcome to come. It's in Selma, Alabama. And it is a it is a wonderful, wonderful place. A place that you would only want to go, though, if you had eyes of faith to see it, to see the, the gospel potential. And so it's with this testimony that I give God praise. That, that before Asbury, I don't know if I could have if I could have been able to do the work that he had planned for me. But as I look out on a room full of flames, I hope that you'll find encouragement that God is doing a good work now and has a greater work planned. It's in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son we pray. Amen.